with prayer now into our time of worship in God's Word. And I want to start out this morning's message by reminding you perhaps of a type of TV show or a movie, maybe a science fiction book you've read at some point, where they will take a body and they will replace the head of that body with another head. Maybe, maybe they figured out how to put a new brain in there or to switch heads from one body to the other. And we will see this process where a body will now have a new brain on top of it. Whether it's done by some form of fictional science or magic. And what we see in these stories, it's amazing that even though the body will look exactly the same, they'll have the same hands, the same feet, the same eyes, the same hair, the body will be the same. It's always fun in these stories that when the head is different, when the brain has been changed, even though the body remains completely the same, you can tell that it's a different person. You can tell that they're acting differently, that they walk differently and they talk differently, that they behave with different attitudes, whether it's for nefarious purposes or comedic purposes, even though the body is the same, if you change the head, the whole person is different. And most of us have gone to church long enough to know that the New Testament calls the church the body of Christ. And we know that Christ is called the head of that church. And so I want you to think if we as a church were to be in one of those science fiction movies, and if we were to have our head, Jesus Christ, removed from this church and replaced with another head, whether one of some kind of pastor or elder or denomination representative, or maybe even a celebrity pastor or author, if we were to place our head of Jesus Christ with another head, would we notice any difference in this body? Would we notice any change? Could we tell that this so-called body of Christ was in any way different now that it had a new head attached to it? That's what I want us to think about this morning, because last week we talked about how Jesus is the why behind the what. Why he is the cause behind all of creation. And in the same way, this morning, we have to ask ourselves as it concerns church, whether it's programs that we are a part of, or events that we come to, or things that we do as Graham Emanuel Baptist Church, we have to ask ourselves the same question this morning as we asked last week, which is why? Why do we do any of this? Why do we come together as a church? Why do we do church a certain way? Why do we sing songs on Sunday? Why do we read out of God's Word? Why do we have children's programs? Why do we have outreach programs? Why do we do what we do? And does it actually reflect who we claim the head of this body actually is? And so this morning in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, we're going to see Paul address pretty much the same topic that he addressed last time, which is the fact that Jesus is the cause, that Christ is the why behind every what. But although last week 
when Paul's focus was on Christ as the cause of all creation, we're going to find that our big idea this morning is going to be that Christ is not only the cause of creation, he is also, our big idea is going to be that he is the cause of the church. So open up in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and we are going to see specifically how Jesus Christ being the image of the invisible God, being greater than everything else, being totally holy and set apart from all of our other created things, being uncreated himself, and in fact the creator of the universe, how he is not just the cause behind what we see in this universe, but how we as a church, we exist specifically because of Jesus in the role that Jesus has, or at least should have, in our local church here in Graham, Washington. So in verse 18, Paul is going to shift. You might remember that this passage that we're looking at, verses 15 to 20 in Colossians chapter 1, serves as an ancient hymn. This is a worship song. It was probably a worship song that existed in Jewish tradition even before Christianity, talking about Jewish wisdom. It is now a hymn that has changed and is now about the person of Christ. This was likely sung on Sunday mornings amongst early churches in the first century. And it's in these verses that Paul is telling us who Jesus is. Remember, we emphasized in in verse 15 that Jesus is the very image, the very manifestation of the invisible God. Yet he is separate from all creation. He shouldn't be confused with other created things. Because last week in verses 16 and 17, we saw how Paul clarified that even though Jesus is the image, he wasn't created. In fact, he is the creator. And all of that is good and all of that is important. But now we're going to see Paul slightly shift in verse 18 to focus on Jesus' role in creation, not just of physical things, but of Jesus' creation of the church itself. The role that Jesus has in bringing about the church, in leading the church, in sustaining the church, in the same way that he does for the moon and the stars and the heavens and the earth. And so in verse 18, we're going to focus on Jesus' role in the church and how Christ is the cause of the church. And your first heading this morning is that the reason why Christ can be considered the cause of the church is because of the first phrase that we see at the beginning of verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. Our first heading in your outline is that Christ, as head, is in charge of the church. Christ is in charge of this church. Not just the general church, not just capital C church, but he is also in charge of Graham Emanuel Baptist Church. When we see Paul talking about the body, or talking about the church as a body, we've seen him already write about these things in the past, In Romans chapter 12, in Ephesians, we see examples of the church being called the body. For example, in Ephesians, we have a couple of uh, verses on our next slide. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, it makes it clear that Christ is head over all things, including the church. 
Let's go to the next slide. We see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16, that in the same way Jesus is called the head over the church or the head over the body. Think about the significance of the church being called a body. You may remember during my first message here in January, we spent an entire Sunday looking at what the church was. And you may not remember what the big idea from that message was, but the big idea of that message was that the New Testament calls the church the ecclesia, that Greek word meaning the collective community of God's people. Not just a crowd, but a gathering of united people. That's an important way to think about church. But here it's interesting that Paul doesn't just call the church the ecclesia. He doesn't just refer to it as just a gathering. He specifically calls it a body and a body that has a head. Think about what a body does. A body has power. It has function. It's able to do things. It's able to build and perform and fight. It's it's able to climb mountains and hike down valleys. Bodies are are capable of accomplishing and making an impact on the environment around them. We as a church should not just be satisfied with seeing ourselves as an ecclesia of gathered people who all agree with each other in the same room, although that's good and it is biblical. Paul takes it one step further because of who Christ is, saying that the church is specifically not just a gathering, not just a collective, but a living, breathing, functional body that is capable of making an impact on its environment. But a body only has function if it's attached to the head. In fact, everything that a body does is completely dependent on the head. The ability of the head to give life, the ability of the head to give the direction, the the personality of the head, everything that the body does depends on it. I wonder if we could look across the United States at all the different local churches who call themselves a body of Christ. I wonder how many of them would actually appear as actual living functional bodies and not just decapitated corpses. Not just a bag of cut apart limbs that are all collectively gathered in one pile, technically all the parts of one body together but not actually united in functioning and living in a way that has impact. We have to ask ourselves, as Graham Emanuel Baptist Church, what kind of body are we? Are we a body of all the parts that are just gathered together? Or are we truly united under a head? And is that head Jesus Christ? Or is that head something else? like the personality of a leader, or a common conviction about political views, or an idea of what church should be. Who is the actual leader or head of this church? The behavior of any church, for better or worse, will reveal what its head is. You look at the behavior of any church, and it will show you something about what it considers its head to be. 
So what we have to ask ourselves as we consider the question of the why behind church, why do we do what we do? Why do we have the programs that we have? Why do we have the calendar that we have and the events? Why do we do worship service the way we do? We always have to ask ourselves, does it act and live according to the way that Jesus would act and live? Does it accomplish the purposes that Jesus as the head would want to accomplish if he was the one preaching here this morning on Sunday? If he was the one leading a children's program, if he was the one setting the budget, how would Jesus do it? That should be the way that we as a church also decide to function. Because Christ as the cause of the church is the cause of the church because specifically he is its head. He is its leader. The New Testament in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 has designated a collection of elders, a plurality of elders to lead a local congregation, but we must not confuse that as the ultimate authority of the church. We as elders are not the ultimate authority of Graham Emanuel. Jesus is the ultimate authority of Graham Emanuel. He has given us the task to serve and lead and shepherd under him as the chief shepherd, which is a big deal. Which is why James says, be not many masters, for you will receive the greater condemnation. The leadership that takes place in a local church is not in of itself. It is leadership that is designated by and on behalf of Jesus Christ as the head of this church. So we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus really the head of this church, number one? But then perhaps more importantly, do we function and interact and serve and live and exist as a church that indicates that Jesus is actually the head or something else? Another aspect of Jesus Christ being the head of the church is not just that he as the head is the leader over the church, but as the head, he is also the one who supplies life to the church. Remember, this parallel was made in last week's sermon where Jesus was described as the very power, the very means by which God created the universe. Remember, in Genesis, it said that God spoke the universe into existence. And in John chapter 1, Jesus is called the Word. Jesus is the very means and power by which life in the universe was created. The same is true for the church. Even without you realizing it, your brain, physically, your brain tells your heart to beat. It tells the blood to pump through your body. It tells your organs to function. You don't have to be making a constant decision whether or not you want your heart to keep beating. Your brain automatically supplies life to your body, which is why we can replace many organs and we can replace many limbs but we can't replace the head. That still remains a work of fiction. Because if you have damage to the brain, that impacts the very capability of your body to live. Not just to think or to be aware or to have discussions and conversations, but to physically actually be alive. The impact of the brain is that it gives life to the body. And we should understand that Jesus Christ, he isn't just in charge of the church, he gives life to us as a church. He's the reason why we continue to exist. 
Just as Jesus was called the sustainer of the universe last week, he's also the sustainer of the church. If the church at any moment was to lose the word of God, the very revelation of Jesus Christ, we would cease to be a functioning body of Christ. And in fact, if you don't believe me, just look. As soon as a church, as soon as a denomination steps away from the word of God, it fails and it ceases to function in a way that is glorifying to the Lord. The same is true of Christ's Spirit, the Spirit that indwells all regenerated believers who have put their trust in Jesus Christ as their substitute by his death on the cross. A church that is not willing to consist of people who are true believers, not just people who are figuring Jesus out, not just people who, well, I kind of like the idea of Jesus. Okay, let's make him an elder. Okay, let's have him teach our children. Yeah, he, he, he's kind of okay with the idea of Jesus. No, the church consists, the true church consists of people who are indwelled by the spirit of Jesus, which only occurs by putting their faith and having repentance and trust in Jesus' death on the cross for our sin. We cannot just be a church that is comfortable with just coming and doing these weekly things, having these weekly programs as an end unto themselves because it makes the world a slightly better place. No, Christ as the head has a bigger cause than that. And he is the one who gives life to the church, not just through his word, but through his spirit that indwells believers. Therefore, we should have a high regard for our brothers and sisters in Christ whose, spirit dwells, whose God's spirit dwells within them, and also for the word of God, the very words of Jesus himself through his prophets and through his apostles. That's a big first point, but it's an important first point. Jesus Christ being the head of the church, there are many different ramifications of that. And it should be the lens by which we evaluate, number one, the way you act here at this church. But number two, collectively, how we as a congregation serve and reached out to this community? Is it actually something that reflects the character, the intentions, and the desires of Jesus? The only way to know that is to read the words of Jesus. Let's go now to our second point. Jesus being the cause of all creation also means that he, as head, is not just in charge of the church, but also that Christ is united with the church. There's something very interesting that's going on here. Let's read the second half of verse 18 after it is calling Jesus the head of the body of the church. It goes on to say something interesting. It says that he, referring to Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. What's so interesting about this verse is that typically when we see other passages in the New Testament talk about the church being the body of Christ, what we typically see happen next are verses explaining more about the body of Christ. They'll say that the, that the church is the body of Christ, like in 1 Corinthians or in Romans, and then we'll talk about the different members and how they're connected and the ligaments and how they're called to serve each other and to humble themselves and to work alongside each other is typically what we see in passages describing the church as a body. But what's unique in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, is after calling the church the body, it doesn't go on to talk about the church. It goes on to talk about Jesus. 
it doesn't elaborate on more about what the body is. It elaborates on more about who Jesus is. This is interesting because in a theology textbook, these two topics are usually separated. We'll see one chapter on the theology of the church. We call that ecclesiology, the study of the ecclesia. But then in another section of that same theology book, in a separate chapter, maybe even pages and pages off, we'll then see a different section on who the person of Christ is. Yet it's unique, and it's worth noticing that Paul makes this claim about the church being the body of Christ. He makes this statement about what the church is, but then he goes on to explain not more about the church, but more about Jesus. And the reason for that is because we don't want to forget that Jesus as our head, it doesn't just mean that he's in charge of the church, and it doesn't just mean that he's the one that gives life to the church, although those things are true, it also means that Jesus himself is a part of the church. He shares in this thing that we call church alongside us. And the reason for that is because Jesus has shared in our physical nature, both in his first coming and we'll also see in his second coming. Let's actually turn to Hebrews chapter 2. I thought about putting this on the screen. I think it's so valuable, though, for us to take opportunities to occasionally turn to Scripture because you need to know that you as a follower of Christ should be regularly spending time in His Word. That even if you come to church every Sunday and you enjoy the message every Sunday, you are doing no more than a man who has perhaps one really good meal once a week. We are called as Christians, as individuals, to consistently spend time in God's Word. And that takes time. That takes practice. So hopefully during our sermons on Sunday, we can get better acquainted in how we are using our personal copies of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews is near the end of your Bible. Hebrews is an, an amazing letter written by an unknown author uh, explaining how important Jesus is to the church and how Jesus is a greater high priest He's a greater sacrifice. He's a greater temple. He's a greater Sabbath rest than all of the things that we saw in the Old Testament. But look specifically at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. And think about how it connects to what we've been talking about in Colossians. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, referring to Jesus, Likewise, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation, which is just another word for an atoning sacrifice or in a sacrifice that reconciles us to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being 
Jesus shares in this with us. He's not just another limb. He's the head. He controls this body. He leads this body. He's the very source of life for this body. Yet Jesus himself also, like the head, is part of the body. That when you have interactions with each other as a church family, when you're sitting down for coffee with a brother or sister in Christ who is going through a hard thing, who is dealing with family struggle, who is dealing with, um, with the issues of, of this world, who, who's dealing with, with, with fear or, or with challenges or with persecution, that the things that this earth gives us, the earthly challenges of being human, Jesus also went through those. That we as a church, when we congregate together, when we come to gather and encourage each other, that we have a head who can relate to our sufferings. And that he also is part of this church. He's not just a distant ruler, even though he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He is still in his physical body. He still has hands with the holes that the nails were driven through. He still is in that body that the disciples sometimes could recognize. By looking to Jesus as the cause of the church in Colossians 1.18 and seeing him as the head, the second half of, chapter, of verse 18 focuses on the body of Jesus, on him being the firstborn from the dead because the focus is on who he is as a physical person. Not just during his first coming when he was born of a woman, and born under the law, but specifically also in his second coming when he's going to come in his resurrected body. The same resurrected body that has been promised to each and every one of us. So Jesus Christ as the head, because we call him the head, we shouldn't see Jesus as distant from the church. We shouldn't see Jesus as disconnected from the church, but we should see him as Part of the church. He is part of this body, yet he is equal to none of us. He is holy. He is the head. He is the giver of life, and he is the one who is in charge, yet he is part of this with us. We are not going through this thing that we call church alone. He is part of the body with us. Which leads us to our third and final point that Christ, being the cause of the church, is also the beginning of the church. He is the one that initiated the church. The church was begun by Jesus Christ. After he died and resurrected, he gave what's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 16 and 20, to his disciples. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, he told his disciples to go out and to make more disciples. He has begun the church. The church would not exist unless, the, unless Jesus told it to exist. Unless Jesus told it to actually go out and function on his behalf and as his representative. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, the emphasis is not just on the fact that Jesus has begun the church, that he is the beginning, like we see in verse 18, but also that he's this thing that we call, there's this phrase that we refer to him as, as the firstborn from the dead. And I believe we have a verse on the screen from Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, that talks about this. 
that from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Earlier in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 15, he's called the firstborn over all creation. But now in verse 18, he's called the firstborn of the dead. he's, He's still the firstborn, but now the firstborn of something else. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. I believe we have a slide for that as well. Read this with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each of us, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. This is what this all means. That everything you see, every physical thing that has been created, every physical thing that you see when driving down the road or when watching a Discovery Channel documentary, every single thing that you can Google, every single created thing, is eventually going to cease to exist, except for the physical resurrected body of Christ. The physical resurrected body of Christ is the only thing that is existing right now that is going to still be existing in the new heavens and the new earth. That all of this, it's going to burn. It's going to, as, it, as it's described in Revelation, it's going to be rolled up like a scroll Everything that you see, including your own bodies, will not exist in the new kingdom of Jesus Christ once he returns and brings about that new heaven and new earth. Jesus' resurrected body is the only thing existing right now that will still be existing in that new kingdom. In addition to that, we too someday, we have been promised to have a resurrected body in a way that is similar to Jesus. So in that way, Jesus is like the teaser. He he is like the coming attraction of what we can expect the new heavens and the new earth to be like. Just as he has a resurrected body that is physical, someday when Christ returns, we will be given a physical resurrected body as well. That's what it means when it calls Christ the beginning and when it calls Christ the firstborn. His resurrected body on the third day is a preview of our resurrected bodies when we are in his kingdom. But because of that, that means that when we think about the church and the role of the church and Jesus being the head and the leader of that church as one who has a resurrected body in anticipation of the new heavens and the new earth, it means that the church is like the embassy of the kingdom of God, existing here in foreign territory. Because Jesus has conquered the enemies of this world. On the cross and on the third day, he destroyed the powers of sin and death, yet he has not yet come back to establish his rule. He's come the first time to have the victory, but when he comes the second time, it will be to take possession over the things and the places that he has been victorious over which means that for us as a church, we are like that embassy representing the authority of Christ, 
representing the victory of Christ and anticipating the future kingdom of heaven that is going to come with Christ still here in this enemy territory to those around us. So like when you go to a capital city and you walk into an embassy, that building has the authority and the sovereignty of that foreign nation. That's what people should experience when they come into church. They should come into church experiencing the way that people are going to act when they have resurrected bodies in God's kingdom. This should be a place that exists and dwells and functions with that kind of authority to show this fallen world that Jesus has been victorious and that Jesus is coming back to establish his rule over that which he has been victorious over. And in the meantime, we as a church will function as his ambassadors, as his embassy, as that place that represents Christ's sovereignty to rescue other people from this enemy world, to rescue them from the domain of darkness, to point them to the Savior, to point them to Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a church. That's the why behind Graham Emanuel. The why is Jesus. It's nothing else. It's not becoming bigger. It's not having a bigger budget. It's not having fun programs. All those things only exist so that we can rescue people with the salvation that only Jesus provides. To point to the fact that he came once, but he's coming a second time, and you better repent and trust in the king who is coming. We are those ambassadors. We are his body. And as his church, as his body, we should take seriously who we are as Graham Emanuel. Do not say that Jesus is important to you when the church is not important to you. Don't say that Jesus is important to you when your brothers and sisters in Christ are important to you. When we come together to worship, we are coming together in representation of the coming king. We're coming together as that embassy, as those ambassadors. There is importance to church. It's why I've decided to start wearing a suit and tie. I want to show that this is important. It's not because I like suit and ties. It's because I want us to know that church is a big deal. It's not just a casual part of our week. It's not just a social function. It is an obedience to the head of the King Jesus in rescuing the means by which, by the gospel, Christ will rescue a fallen world. So let's take that seriously as a church and let's live with that mission in mind. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to reveal to us who you are. We believe that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the full manifestation and the radiance of your glory. We believe that by seeing Jesus, we see you, God, and we look forward to seeing him physically. But Lord, in the meantime, by your spirit, allow us to see your son, Jesus Christ, and what has been revealed about him in your word. And may by your spirit, we have a conviction in the way that we love others as brothers and sisters in Christ, and what we do as a church in this community, may it be done to represent your son, Jesus, to represent him as the king, and to truly show that he is our head, to be the kind of body that is acting in accordance to the way that Jesus would want to act. So we pray all of this. We lift up this church in your name, Lord, for your glory. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ.
Amen. All right, go and represent your king and go in peace.